A warning. This podcast includes violence, graphic details, and conversations about serious mental illness. And this is the fourth episode in our series. If you haven't started with Locked Inside Episode 1, we recommend you start there first. And one other note, our next interview took place outside in a park, so you'll also hear a lot of birds. Imagine a rental house that's never been really taken care of. And you have loads of people living there that don't take care of anything. (laughs) That's what the inside of this house looked like. When Lisa Lomelli first walked inside this house she's describing, she couldn't believe her eyes. Everything was worn, everything was um, old, stained, dirty. Like you could clean it a million times and still, you know, it just very, very, very used. Not a very good rating, especially for a place her son was calling home. I get it. I. My son has a habit of, you know, being a piece of slob. He is a slob, my son. But it's not just her son she's worried about. And plus, you know, you've got people with anger issues and there's holes and this and that. So you don't want to put a ton of money into it, but but it was, you know, just, just the bare bones. Bare bones. I mean, I have to give it give that to them. They do they do get all the residents cleaning and picking up and cooking. This home was supposed to help Lisa's son. He hated it. I, I, I hated it. The Tilda Manor group home on Wild Horse Drive in Gilbert, Arizona. All it did was make my son lie and scheme and manipulate to get himself out of there. He hated it so much. But her son did have a friend on the inside, almost like an older brother. And he really... Uh, taught my son how to kind of, you know, get through, get through this whole situation of being in this group home. Lisa's son became friends with this guy. He loaned my kid money, even though I told him not to. But what Lisa and her son didn't know was that his new friend had another side to him. When I would go visit, I always visited Chris and, and my son. Chris, as in Christopher Lambeth. It wasn't what we expected. This is episode four of Locked Inside, Secured. And this time, we're talking with people who have walked the halls at that Tilda Manor group home. I was shocked. Christopher, he's one of the oldest clients there. The home that would turn into a crime scene. How did they let this happen? I'm Erica Stapleton, and to start, we're sitting down with a mother who never thought she'd unknowingly expose her family to a killer. I was hoping for a safe, comfortable, warm environment, somewhat warm environment. Lisa never planned for her son to be living in a group home. Where he could learn um, life skills, um, you know, anger management, where he could get, you know, the counseling and the the information he needed to kind of uh, start his adult life kind of on his own since at the time he wasn't, um, he was not allowed to come back to my house. We're not naming her son to protect his privacy, 
but we can say he's in his mid-20s. And I have his mom's permission to share what she says happened. He's got a few diagnoses. He's um, high-functioning autism, ADHD, bipolar disorder, uh, which he was diagnosed with when he was 10. So he's had it for a long time, but uh, as he got older, um, he got much more aggressive. And uh, I had to call the police quite a few times. Um, he tried to hurt himself quite a few times. But in June 2019, he didn't just hurt himself. On Father's Day, he, he just completely lost it. And uh, he ended up breaking my arm, um, giving me a concussion. And so that, that was it. He wasn't charged, but a police report shows he was taken to the hospital for a psych evaluation. And after that, he was court-ordered into outpatient treatment. The court also ruled he couldn't live with his mother because he hurt her. So he was placed at the group home, Tilda Manor. He was done the minute he walked in, but he knew he didn't have any place else to go. I didn't have any other place to put him. This was our first time with him as an adult in a government program. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't sure of what was available to him and, and what he could do, so I was relying on his team. Lisa said her son was receiving benefits for what the state calls his serious mental illness. And typically, that's how a lot of people come to live in these residential facilities or group homes. State and federal programs will pay facilities to take in people that are receiving the benefits. These homes are supposed to help, but as Lisa puts it. It wasn't what we expected. It wasn't the support that we expected. It, it was supposed to be a learning experience to help him uh, get stable. Her son had a rough time transitioning. She said he didn't like the staff, how they treated him. He would call me 14 times a day. Uh, most days, and complain. And you wouldn't believe what they said to me this time. And she's telling me I can't do this. And she grabbed my hand and yanked my cigarettes out of my hand and things like that, just about every day. And as she said, he found a friend in Christopher Lambeth. So he helped my son navigate kind of through and, you know, hey, don't talk to him that way. That's just going to make things worse. You know, he, he really gave my son some good advice. So when Lisa learned through our news coverage that this guy who helped her son in this tough situation was arrested for allegedly killing someone else in the home, she was beside herself. Unbelievable. I know Chris. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time with Chris. Um, and he was one of the most mellow, even-tempered fellows there. Lisa said her son moved out of that group home months before the killing, but he still kept in touch with his friend, Chris. I spent a lot of time with him and never, 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 never in my wildest dreams would I, I would never cross my mind. He'd be the last person um, that I would have thought uh, would have done something like that. Were you aware of his background at all? No. And that is, that is something that bothers me a lot. Lisa and her son had no idea Christopher Lambeth was a convicted double murderer after brutally killing his grandparents more than a decade before. She wasn't only bewildered, she felt betrayed. 
I wish somebody had said, you know, just, just had given me the option to choose whether to introduce this person, you know, into my life, to my kids and whatnot. Lisa would try to visit her son in this group home as much as she could. And oftentimes that would include visiting with Chris. She'd take them out on walks and bring them around her other kids. And she said staff would let Lambeth go with her on these outings. I know that, you know, they can't tell you everything um, uh, because, you know, it's their private, you know, their private lives. But when you have someone like my son that, you know, became friends with this person and then that person, you know, starts interacting with me and my other children, then I, I probably, no, I needed to know. Look, this person has a history of violent behavior. They didn't have to tell me what it was. They didn't have to, you know, but then I could have made the choice myself. Lisa wishes the staff would have given her some sort of heads up. It's not clear what Tilda Manor's policy is on disclosing other residents' histories. And in hindsight, that wasn't Lisa's only concern with Tilda Manor. Now would be a good time to hear from anyone in charge of Tilda Manor, the owners or anyone representing them, but they didn't want to talk to us for this podcast. But to understand how this group home was run, I really needed to talk to someone who knew how things operated and what it was like to work in that environment. Through public records, I was able to track down 23 people who at one point in time over the past few years worked at Tilda Manor. Some of them didn't answer the door when we knocked. Um, we're looking for former or current Tilda Manor employees. Others declined to okay, talk. I mean, I, we don't have any information about it. Yeah, I've we don't have any information about it. Okay. I'm sorry, I can't, talk, I can't comment on that. You can't comment on that? No. One woman said she'd been instructed by Tilda Manor leadership not to talk with a reporter. Yeah, 12 out of no, no, I don't give any information. My boss told me no, no information for any... Okay. Um, yeah, I can call him now. Okay. He, he said no information with the press or anything because the stories they are giving out there is not what is happening. Then there was John. We changed his name to protect him from retaliation. So we're just hoping to get as much information as we can about like what it is like to work there and how they operate because we just don't have any insight on that. Oh, yet. okay. So that's kind of why we're... Who invited me, my executive producer Katie, and our intern Faith right into his living room. His wife was preparing lunch, so you might hear some noises from the kitchen in this conversation. Oh, I, I can tell you guys pretty much a very clear picture of what's going on there because I worked there for six years. And John said he worked at Tilda Manor for six years. My parents was great. Like I said, I stayed there for six years. If a place is not great, you cannot be there for six years. So it was great, good working experience. He said he left in 2020, so he's no longer working at Tilda Manor. But from his view, everyone with the company was always trying their best. Mental health, that was what we signed up for. Declines are very unpredictable. Clients are unpredictable. When he says clients, he means the people who are placed to live at the home. People like Christopher Lambeth or Lisa's son. He says most of the residents come to the home from the state hospital or other hospitals with psychiatric wards. Usually the insurance company say, hey, we have this guy, he has this insurance, and they'll send the paperwork away. There you can see the diagnosis, you can see the case punishment, you can see the psych doctor or medical doctor, anybody who's involved in the team. So according to John, insurers like Medicaid would reach out to Tilda Manor 
and provide the prospective resident's case file. Then, Tilda Manor would screen the person, checking their diagnoses, behaviors, medical records. If it's a fit and there's a bed, the person could be placed in the group home. John said they don't check to see if a person would be compatible with other people in the home, so it's possible someone placed there after a violent incident could be living there with someone who is not violent. And it's possible someone could be transferred out of the home if a problem came up. Just take uh, special precautions. The Tilda Manor on Wild Horse Drive had a capacity for 10 beds or 10 residents. And when it comes to round-the-clock staffing, John said they would have a one-to-five ratio. So if a home had more than five residents, there should be at least two staff members there. These staff members are usually behavioral health techs, people who are supposed to help give out medications, help residents with cooking, cleaning, and preparing for appointments in other parts of their treatment plans. John said they would train staff in mental health, substance abuse, and how to deal with clients in different situations, like what to do if a person was having a violent episode. Any staff member who's walking there is supposed to know what's going on so you can watch and see any change in behavior or anything. John said staff should know each resident's background. They're supposed to be paying close attention, looking out for any behaviors that might be off. And remember, they're supposed to be keeping an eye on everything 24-7. During the day, they had anywhere from one to four workers. A lot of the times they were on their phones um, or they were clustered together watching TV. Uh, they pretty much just let the people do what they wanted. This is Lisa's take based on what she saw during visits with her son. And when it comes to meeting resident needs, Lisa thought the 24-7 supervision extended beyond the house too. She remembers a time when she says her son needed treatment for a skin condition. And they wouldn't take him, even though they're supposed to have transportation and and everything, and they wouldn't take him because the, the woman working said, I can't leave, I can't leave less, you know, than two people here. So you're gonna have to find your own way. Have your mom come pick you up. But Lisa didn't live close by. And I thought, there's no way. It'll take me too long to get there and then get him and take him. And uh, so I said, just call an ambulance, just call an ambulance. So. They had to call an ambulance. My son called the ambulance. They came and picked him up and took him to the hospital. And then when he was done, he called them and said, can you come pick me up? And she, they said, no, I, we can't leave, you know, I can't leave the residents here with only one worker, so no. Lisa was floored. The whole point of having him in a home like this was for people to watch her son and make sure he was sticking with his treatment plan, not leave him hanging when he needed a ride. So I found it very odd then that uh, I would go there and sometimes there'd be only one worker there um, because one of the workers had to run out and go pick her children up from school or whatever. So it was, that wasn't consistent either. Because Lisa would visit often, she also felt the staff would take advantage of her. Many of the people, the other residents, didn't have uh, family members um, 
in town. Uh, they didn't have any family members close. They didn't have any support. So they had things provided for them. They weren't asked to pay for it. They weren't asked, hey, tell your mom to send money or tell your mom to come pick you up. At this point, Lisa said she wasn't her son's legal guardian. He was an adult in his mid-20s, and Lisa said his treatment team from the state were the ones to make decisions about his care. I couldn't make any legal decisions, but they wanted me still to, you know, come pick him up. Like when he had to go to the, the dentist or the doctor, they wanted me to do it. She said at first she was really compliant. As a mom in this situation, she was doing all she could to help her son. But one day, while she was at a doctor's appointment with him, one of the hospital staff told her this wasn't how things were supposed to be. She had said, you need to back off. You can't be there. The more you're there, the more they would expect me to help. And then the less uh, my son would grow. At first, I was quite helpful. <laughs> and then as I could see what was happening, um, I just kind of backed off, backed off. And I know that hurt my my son a lot because he felt like I was abandoning him. But the more I helped, the less they helped. Lisa was torn. She wanted her son to get the treatment he needed, and she didn't want to hold him back. This home setup was supposed to be preparing him to live on his own in a way where he could manage his symptoms. She said her son's final straw was when he had an incident with a resident that prompted him to report a complaint to Adult Protective Services. Days later, her son was moved to another home. We asked APS about this, but they declined to answer questions, citing privacy laws. In Lisa's view, the staff was spread too thin. It's just not enough. Hi there. We did talk with one other former Tilda Manor employee who wanted to be anonymous. You worked at all the houses? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did. She said she'd serve residents their medications, drive them to appointments, and make sure they kept up with hygiene. They were supposed to help build independent living skills. She remembers being called to cover shifts a lot and often felt overworked and overwhelmed. She also remembers that sometimes paychecks would bounce despite all that work. That's frustrating. Yeah, we hate that. I like me, I hate it. She'd never worked in this field before and learned a lot on the job on how to care for people dealing with mental illnesses. She said they did get training on how to handle incidents with residents. Next time you should do this, do that, do this, do that, like. But talking about it and being face-to-face in the situation were two different things. She said there were always at least two staff members working, sometimes three or four, and always two overnight. But she admitted that sometimes she felt she didn't have the right training to handle this job and that she felt she wasn't qualified to handle certain behaviors or diagnoses. We are not qualified to manage it. Sometimes a resident would tell her they wanted to kill themselves and she wouldn't know what to say. She said she'd do all she could to make a situation calm, but things could escalate quickly. She remembers one time in particular when a resident came back from an outing. She was pregnant at the time and out of nowhere, the resident tried to punch her. He wound up hitting a wall instead. That scary situation and the hectic schedule were some of the reasons that ultimately led her to quit her job at Tilda Manor. 
Plus, she had her son. He'd been playing on the floor of her living room while we talked to her, now a toddler, happily playing with his toys with Cheeto dust on his fingers. A reminder every day that things could have been different. She could have been seriously hurt in one of those homes. This is something Lisa recognized too. If you don't know how to deal with any of these situations, I mean, in a normal household, those situations wouldn't come up. But when you're in a situation where you have a bunch of volatile people all together in a small place, and even just one of them by themselves could be volatile and, and difficult to deal with, but when you have a whole bunch of them together and you don't know how to do any of this stuff, then situations just escalate. When John looks back on his time at Tilda Manor, he feels he and the other staff members really made a positive impact. He said he saw a lot of people go through their programs and step down into lower levels of care or even independent living. Again, no one who currently works at Tilda Manor would talk to us. So we've never been able to ask them about any success stories. John assured us there were some. But as he said before, the people living in these homes can be unpredictable. Like I said, they're dealing with humans, and it's never 100% perfect. John explained that if a person was being violent or a situation got to a point where a staff member couldn't handle it, protocol was to call 911. This is what staff were taught to do. If you're a tiny little woman or man and you don't have any skills in breaking up fights or talking somebody through a mental breakdown or somebody that's having a seizure, you know, and all you can do is dial 911, your job's going to be so, so incredibly hard. It makes Lisa think about her own son, who she describes as big, more than 300 pounds, and about Christopher Lambeth. You know, my son still says, I, I can't, I can't believe, you know, Chris did that. And he said, and then on the other hand, he says, I can't believe I was in a room, uh, roommates with, a, with, a, with a, a person that killed two other people. Both John and the other former employee we talked to remembered Christopher Lambeth. They also knew his background, how he killed his grandparents. And he's, he hasn't had any anger outbursts or any behaviors that would, say, make him risky. John and the other former worker told us Lambeth was a model housemate. He always took his medications. He'd help clean up around the house. He'd play hockey, visit with his sister, and he seemed content. So when they heard Lambeth was accused of killing Stephen Howells... I was shocked. Christopher, he's one of the oldest clients there. Like, I've walked with him. He was respectful. He did everything he was supposed to do. John was shocked. In all the years Christopher Lambeth had been at the group home, nothing bad ever happened with him. But John also said he talked with some of the staff after the killing and was told Christopher Lambeth was supposed to move out that day but wasn't ready to leave the home. It was the same thing we heard at the PSRB meeting and the same thing police suspected when they walked through the house-turned-crime scene and noticed his room wasn't packed up. It still perplexes Lisa. I still think... There's no way Chris would have done something like that without some huge mitigating factors. I don't know uh, what they are, I can guess. I want to go see him and say, hey, Chris, 
Chris, what happened? I mean, I mean, he calls me, he calls me mom. How did they let this happen is, is what I want to know. I want to know how did they let this happen. So on the day Christopher Lambeth was accused of killing his housemate, when he allegedly tried to attack the two employees on shift and those employees called 911 for help, were they just following protocol? We actually tracked down both of those employees at their homes back in September 2021. At that time, both were still working for Tilda Manor, and both ultimately declined to talk with us. When I looked each of them in the eye, it struck me by how young they both looked. One of those employees worked at Tilda Manor with his sister. The other had a playpen and children's toys in his living room. I could see it right from the doorway. Working at Tilda Manor is their livelihoods. If you, you know, could go back in time and you had, you know, any say in this decision, would you let your son live in that house? No. Absolutely not. From Lisa's view, this home was set up to fail. There was a disconnect in how the staff were trained, how they communicated, how people were placed there, how Tilda Manor ran the house. I guess my final question, why speak out? Because I don't want this to happen to anybody else. That could have... I don't want to say easily been my son, but I know my son and I know his issues and I know his triggers and whatnot. And my son could have, could have very easily had an issue like that. And I don't want anybody else having to go through this, whether it's they flip out and do something terrible or whether something terrible gets done to them. A state investigation later found that those two employees working the morning of the murder did break a very big rule. And that wasn't the only problem going on inside that house. Next time on Locked Inside, I ask Tilda Manor's owners to explain themselves. Hi there. Um, I'm with Channel 12. We're hoping to speak with either Samuel or Grace Ashu. Especially after reading what was in Christopher Lambeth's file. It's terrifying. I mean, you know, we have kids all up and down this street. Anyone working with or representing Tilda Manor declined to talk with 12 News at this point in our story. Christopher Lambeth's attorney at the time of this recording did not respond to our requests for comment. Locked Inside is written and edited by me, Erica Stapleton. Executive producer is Katie Wilcox. Fact-checking is by 12 News intern Andrew Onadera. Audio mixing is done by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. Locked Inside is produced by the 12 News I-Team and Vault Studios. A special thank you to Will Johnson and Reed Redmond at Vault Studios. If this story resonates with you or you want to share your experience, send us an email at connect at 12news.com. We'll catch you next time on Locked Inside.